The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is a program that focuses on the arts community from Stockton to Merced and Foothill to Foothill. We talk with local authors, poets, playwrights, fine artists, actors, directors, filmmakers, dancers, musicians, crafters, and makers to learn more about their art and the arts-related events here in our part of the valley. We're your hosts, Linda Scheller. And I'm Sandy Graham. If you're involved in the greater arts community of our area and would like to be featured, we will share our contact information at the end of the show. Today, our guest is Heike Hambly. Heike Hambly is the founder and artistic director of Merced Shakespeare Fest, a nonprofit organization that is a member of both the American Association of Community Theater and the Shakespeare Theater Association. Heike is a director with the Gallo Repertory at the Gallo Center for the Arts in Modesto, and she has directed or acted in numerous theater productions in and around Modesto and Merced. Welcome, Heike. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Linda. I'd like to read the mission statement from the website, which is www.mercedshakespearefest.org. And I quote, Merced Shakespeare Fest is dedicated to creating and performing high quality productions of Shakespeare plays that reflect and embrace the diversity of our community. We are a safe haven and artistic outlet for all people with a desire to express themselves through the works of history's greatest playwright and for all who wish to enjoy the results of our efforts. <laughs> and enjoy them I do. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And so do I. Please tell us about the origin of Merced Shakespeare Fest. I started to do a theater for a couple of years here in Merced, which is still in the last millennium, uh, and participated in plays at Merced College, at Playhouse Merced, which was called Merced Center for the Performing Arts at that time. Uh, but what I was missing there were the classics. I had grown up, uh, studied, and had been a teacher in Germany, and the classics, and I don't mean only Goethe and Schiller, I mean Shakespeare, <laughs> were very, very important to me, and nobody seemed to really do that. And uh, in 2002, February of 2002, the board of Playhouse Merced asked me whether I would be willing to direct one Shakespeare play. They gave me almost no budget, <laughs> one weekend, and I chose my favorite comedy, which is Twelfth Night, uh, with all this romantic and funny interaction between those people who are confused in their emotions. And we had so much fun. It was a production that we had to put chairs in, into the theater, to the audience. And at the cast party, we decided not to stop now. And in August of that same year, 2002, uh, I directed Much Ado About Nothing, which was our first Merced Shakespeare Fest production and worked on, you know, the long nonprofit paperwork and got some first donations from people. And this is how it started. And I couldn't imagine my life without it. Why did you choose to focus then only on the plays of Shakespeare rather than have maybe a variety of classics? Well, lots of reasons. Number one, when you do one thing, one particular thing, you can get really good at that. 
I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I really like to delve deep into things. I like all the scholarly things that were written about Shakespeare's life and his works. The fact that it doesn't cost any royalties, the fact that I can cut it and adapt it to whatever, I mean in moderation of course, but to whatever I want to say with it, in whatever circumstance. If it's like a venue where I can only work for one hour or whether I can keep people's attention for 90 minutes or two hours or whatever. With Shakespeare, I can all do that. Plus, I just, I think I'm in love with Shakespeare and his writing and the way he <laughs> writes about people, the human nature, justice, power, and there's everything. There's tragedy and comedy and history, and they often are very much intermingled. Every tragedy has, has a funny scene. Every comedy can have some really tragic moments, sort of like life. And I'm very much attracted to that. And I found out, knowing now much more about other Shakespeare festivals, this is how most Shakespeare theaters start out. They do only Shakespeare. They get really good at it. They make a name for themselves. And then after some decades, they start to branch out. Maybe some things that have to do with topics that Shakespeare wrote about. So they might start with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which takes off the whole story of Hamlet as the background. Or they do the musical Kiss Me Kate because it has to do with Taming of the Shrew. When you think about my beloved Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Ashland, they started out that way and now they have wonderful new plays, they all can have a place in that. I think it's a progress. I think it's a development. And we have not started that. Also, every year we talk about, oh, maybe now is the year we could <laughs> do something non-Shakespeare. Yeah, we'll see. I hope we sometime do. How does Merced Shakespeare Fest's commitment to inclusivity and diversity affect the creative process and the production's reception? Well, no theater lives in a vacuum. We are all part of our community, our society, our zeitgeist. What are people thinking about? What are important issues? I think this particular mission statement I think we wrote that maybe in the last three, four years, when it became more and more important to be inclusive. Whether this is starting very simply, be inclusive to women playing the many, many wonderful men's roles that Shakespeare has, or the reaching out to the gay, lesbian, trans community who are very much attracted to, to theater because mm -hmm. it is something where you can express your emotions. And of course now it is more important than ever when you think about minorities and their treatment in our society and from some of our politicians. The outgrowth of this was that this year, just about this year, 2020, we had our first bilingual play, Merced, has a huge Latino population. And when I, I directed Romeo and Juliet a couple of years ago, 
I wanted to include some Hispanic features. I had uh, Mexican dancers there for the party scene. It played in early California. The costumes were good like that because I hoped I could include some of that audience that would feel more comfortable with that. It didn't work that well. It was a nice production, but I didn't have that buy-in. So this time we had the bilingual, <laughs> the bilingual approach. So more and more, this has become important. I remember 20 years ago, I saw the first black actor play Prince Hell in Henry IV in Ashland. I thought, oh, that's new. I've never seen something like that. Uh, in the meantime, we don't do the white casting. We do what we call colorblind casting. For instance, our uh, King Lear, that we were so lucky to be able to produce and stage right before the pandemic, was a wonderful black performer, Dennis Brown, musical director and a performer in the Versed Mariposa area. So we really try to be open to all because let's face this, a lot of theater is done by us middle-class white folks. And if we stay that way, we cannot grow. We need to include more people, at both as audience and as performers and as artists. And I, I think it's something like our duty to be open. And um, as far as this has worked for us, usually half and half of the cast one half is men, the other half is women. And you know that usually in a Shakespeare play, there might be three, four really okay women's roles. And then there are these 20 wonderful men's roles. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have done that. And we have had lots of actors who said, well, I didn't even want to do that, but people were so nice at the audition and, and they were so nice to me. And we don't ask a person, well, what's your salary and what's your political opinion and what's that and what that. We just take them as the artists that they are and work with them. And I think that is healing for many of us. I was so fortunate to be part of Julius Caesar, which was an all-female <laughs> cast. Mm -hmm. and, and got to play three male roles. Mm -hmm. so that was doubly challenging, but it was so delightful to have an opportunity to play roles that otherwise would not have been open to me. Exactly. And uh, it's very understandable for Shakespeare's plays. In his time, women were not allowed to be on stage at all. So having men in these female roles, you have to be careful. You can't do too many because that might not be good for the standard of the acting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for me, I like to be in charge. That's why I'm a director and artistic director. <laughs> um, so playing roles of men who are in charge is something that I really adore. Mm -hmm. And so when I played Julius Caesar, that was great. The last uh, role that I was on stage was Lord Gloucester in King Lear, the ones who gets the eyes gouged out. Um, and um, just playing that man's role uh, is something that is good for us to develop our masculine side. And, you know, sometimes maybe I need to have more men in drag, but men have lots of opportunities on stage. And I'm not only thinking about 
feminism, I also think about different ethnic kind of populations and so forth. But yes, it was lovely to play men's roles. And I remember that production, Linda, that we were both in very affectionately. How many productions do you normally stage in a year and where are they generally performed? We started out just as a summer theater with one show, sometimes two in summer at the Merced Open Air Theater at Applegate Park. And in our, when was it? Maybe ninth or tenth year, I did the big leap doing a winter play because I was just needing to do tragedy. I love comedies, but tragedy is the other side of our emotion, of our attitudes about life. And uh, I started with King Lear, which was pretty bold, and I was directing it, and I think 10 days before we were supposed to open it, oh, it's never gonna work, maybe I should cancel it. I got over that. So for a while then we did two plays, usually a tragedy or something a little bit more serious that you just didn't want to have in the park in summer where everybody, kids and families would come in winter, like January, February, March, and the summer play, which started in August. Then with global warming, our August got so hot. Now we do it in September, a couple of degrees cooler, not much. Right now, the last, when was it? Five years, we have done three productions. We've done a tragedy in September, January, February, a spring play, which could be comedy or just something that was really good in an intimate setting, and then still the big summer show. As we are a homeless theater group, we have performed in lots of places. Our sort of home, in quotation marks, is the summer setting of Applegate Park with the outdoor theater, and we have the drops to fix up the very nicely the stage. We have our own sound system. We have access to lighting. We can do it now in the evening. So that's our September show. The other shows have been at different places. Twice at the Merced Theater, the very big tower theater, downtown Merced. We did Romeo and Juliet, and we did Macbeth there. And then... I directed Othello at Playhouse Merced. That was just last year in June. So we could work co-production with the Playhouse. We did co-productions with Merced College. That's one of the ones you were in, where we did a group of Roman tragedies. Julius Caesar, Coriolanus, Turtles and Cressida, and Titus, where we had a beautiful stage all kinds of technical things we could use that we usually don't, and we could work with students there. So it was really a meeting of minds working together. And one of our favorites turned out is the little black box theater at the MAC, the Merced Arts Center, where we can do productions where people sit very close to the stage, maybe 50 to 100 people in the audience, and it is a very intimate space that sometimes can be very nice for some place. Oh, and of course, we, ha- we have also brought our shows to other places. We were at the Mariposa Amphitheater 
several times bringing up a show for a weekend. We were in Fireball bringing it to the junior high auditorium. Where was somewhere else? Oh yeah, we brought it in our early time to some of the school stages here in Merced because we're very mobile. We can travel easily. This is KCBP Arts of the San Joaquin Valley with your host, Linda Scheller. Today, our guest is Heike Hambly, who's talking about Merced Shakespeare Fest. Who can audition and what is the audition process like? Oh, everybody, of course, can audition. Sometimes I'm asked, can you get children in the show, like uh, under 16? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Depends on the matter, subject matter of the play, and the roles that are there. I like to have children in the cast. It's really a good give and take between the adults and the kids who often come from conservatories and, and are very mature, and, and they can develop their acting chops while they're working with us. But aside from that, we have audition invites on Facebook, uh, through email, of course, with the press, whatever will still run something about theaters. And every year we have new people joining the ones that have been doing it for longer. Uh, so everybody can audition. And usually we do something like, yeah, cold reading. So here's a Shakespeare scene. And just go over in this corner and with the other two people and see whether you can read this, have fun, if you have questions. And if you want to, you can also recite one Shakespeare um, monologue. But if you don't feel like it, that's okay too. So we're trying to make this a fun kind of audition and take people's nervousness away. It's amazing how wonderful just people that I've never heard before, how they can speak Shakespeare. You find a lot of people who absolutely adore and love Shakespeare and his words. And um, I'm always very touched by that. Besides acting for what behind the scenes jobs can people volunteer? It depends on the show. Every show has a costumer. Sometimes the costumer needs people who help sewing or decorating. We have sets that sometimes need to be painted or our theater curtains, our drops need to be painted. We need people who put together the props that we need, letters, swords, whatever else it is. And we sometimes need what I call stage hands, people who are backstage helping with whatever is necessary putting out a table and chairs or taking something off the stage or helping with quick costume changes. We have stipends for most of these jobs because I feel if you're not an actor and you get the applause afterwards, you deserve a little something that you are acknowledged with what you're doing, at least with trying that. So yeah, we can use all kinds of people. Who else has directed for Merced Shakes? And I'm curious, how do you pair a director with the selected play? That as a matter also has been a, a work in progress. For the first 10 years, it was only I who did the directing. You know, there's a development that you do, of course, yourself as a director. I started out and shows were a lot of fun, but they looked like 
you know, like a Shakespeare play. It looked like a, you're coming from a Renaissance fair or something like that. And then they got more and more modern or maybe timeless. And that also seems a progression that Shakespeare companies go through. And then it just got too much when we had plans to do three shows and I also want to do some other work because I like all kinds of theater. So I was looking around who are people that I know and trust that have some acting experience and that I can work with. So we have production meetings and talk about it and have coffee together or tea to talk about shows. For instance, the show that you were in, Linda, where it was women in prison putting on Julius Caesar. Tracy Sprague, wonderful actress from Modesto, Turlock area, also artistic director of Center Stage, we're good friends. Um, and Karen Heidelbach, who is the drama professor at Stan State. We had been sitting together for two years, every once in a while over coffee, and talked about what do we want to do? Something exciting. And we honed in, this is what we're going to do. And okay, so who's going to be in it and who's going to be directing? And Tracy, oh, I like to direct. Oh yeah, you directed, the others are in it. And so it was just coming out of friendship and communication. Uh, Colton Dennis is directing for us often because I, I know him as a director and an actor. And I said, hey, hey you, you should direct sometime for us. Oh, what do you think I should do? And it's not that somebody puts in their paperwork and says, this is what I want to do. Can I get a job interview? It's more like we're sitting together and we're talking and these ideas get born. Or somebody puts something out on Facebook. Hey, I sometimes would like to do such and such. And then I see that kind of, huh, maybe I should get a message to that person. These are all things that are very organically happening. Oh, and the last one, and I know we'll get to our bilingual Ricardo Richard II soon, yes. but that one started out with my dramaturg for Othello last spring is a PhD candidate from the UK. And he happened to be here because he was doing some work at UC Merced. He was recommended to me and we hit it right off. So he was my dramaturg. He worked in Othello with people on their language. He wrote something nice for the program. And after we were done, he had enjoyed his experience so much. He said, you know, I think I have some time next year. He did not know what next year 2020 would be like anyway. But he said, you know, I really like your organization and I would like to work for you. Uh, he also had his own Shakespeare festival at the East Coast some years ago. I, I direct everything you want me to. And I said, well, I always wanted to Richard II because it is the revolution against a bad king. I always find it very interesting. Its history is also very interesting. So he said, yeah, sure. That sounds good. I like that too. I haven't done that yet. And, uh, and I said, oh, and I also always wanted to do something bilingual. You know, you're working with the UC. Maybe you can find some people there. And that's how he became the director. So it's a very informal, very informal process. Are the productions generally abridged? If you would see Hamlet as written, it would be over four hours. Macbeth and Comedy of Errors are the shortest ones, and they're maybe just under two hours. Most of them 
are two and a half to three. And from the start, I knew that I wanted to abridge them. For the summer productions, where people are sitting outside, like in a picnic situation, and it doesn't have an intermission, 90 minutes is all most people can take. For an indoor production, I always recommend, let's make sure it's no longer than two hours. One of my favorite activities is take a play by Shakespeare, look at it, what do I think important as a person who lives in the year 2020? As a woman, what do I want to say with that play? Where do I want to put the stress on? What is the most important thing? Not necessarily lesson, but what should people go home with? And so they are all abridged. And I have my certain formula, how many lines I have to cut. It also gives me the opportunity to take lines out that are very difficult for modern people to understand because they don't have that classical education that people even uh, around 1600 from the grammar school movement in the UK would know. I'm not adding anything. I'm not replacing anything. There is not a word in there, or maybe an expression or so, but there shouldn't be a word in there that Shakespeare has not written, but they are all abridged. If I would have a lot of money and a lot of technical help, just for the heck of it, I could do a play in all its length, but they're difficult to put on and it's hard for modern audiences. This is Arts of the San Joaquin Valley, and today we're talking with Heike Hambley. Please do describe for us the bilingual production, Richard II. <laughs> um, probably some of the most difficult things we've ever done. Taking a history, a tragedy, but a history, and putting half of the text in there in Spanish. Because we are living in an area with a huge Spanish-speaking population. And we wanted to include more people than we usually include. The team that worked on it, together with the director of the show, um, Billy Wolfgang, they had worked on it for almost four years before we started rehearsal. First, you need to just cut the whole play to a bit more digestible length. Then uh, you have to think about a concept. Why would one person speak Spanish and the other person English? I mean, you need to explain that there needs to be some reason for it. And um, we thought it can only be done if there are two distinguishable groups in this given play. And uh, Richard II, or Ricardo II, is the story of Richard II, a rather um, not very good king who was corrupt, who listened to the sycophants who just wanted to get something from him. He was not very honest. He wanted to get a lot of the money and gold from his lords. He was not a good king. Another lord was actually banished by him, is coming back and takes the crown away from him. And that's Henry Bolingbroke, who later becomes Henry IV. It's all very historic. So it worked for this play that the group about Richard II, Ricardo II, was more the Spanish-speaking group, while the other one was more the English-speaking group. Angel Nunes did most of the translation, 
He is completely bilingual. He also took as, as help, there are of course, like <laughs> Shakespeare is translated in just about every language of this world, took a text and worked on it so it would work with our abridgment. His mother is a Spanish professor from Mexico, so she, he could always check with her. They also added a few other little scenes to make clearer about what was happening. And these were a few things that were more modern Spanish or modern English. And we had that ready in March for the audition. There were two other uh, ladies, Maria Wren and Catherine Flores, who worked with him uh, with other ideas, and they were our production team, always supporting the director, with lots of connections to UC Merced, which is great, because UC Merced has a huge bilingual population, and we were concerned, well, we find somebody to play Ricardo. It's a huge role. We would need somebody whose Spanish would be super perfect. And um, we found an instructor, um, a professor from UC Merced, Alejandro Gutierrez, and he turned out to be a wonderful actor and Richard. I think we were just very lucky with that. It's crazy, it's really crazy. We were just able to cast the show right in the middle of March right before the pandemic really started to hit us. I was not at the callback because I told the director and the production team, oh, it looks like I'm some of the more um, vulnerable groups, so I shouldn't be there, but great, finish it up. We just need to look at the cast. We had enough people, bilingual people, who could do it. And then the pandemic really hit us. These were tough times for theater people. You know, I remember we had no idea how long all this would be, how it would develop, uh, because we wanted to give the cast something to hold on to and decided to start out with Zoom rehearsals. And I don't know the process very well. Not only am I the artistic director, I was also cast as John of Gaunt. So I had a role in this cast. John of Gaunt is a wonderful role. I just love it. It's the old Lord who has these wonderful, wonderful monologues about the beauty of his home country in this England and how it is in this really bad shape because of that king who really cannot handle being a good king. So, uh, and then I die in act two. Lovely role. <laughs> Great role. This is KCBP Wesley. 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. Today, our guest on Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is Heike Hambly, founder and artistic director of Merced Shakespeare Fest. So we did Zoom rehearsals. If you ever have tried Zoom rehearsals, they're really not the cat's meow. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really not easy um, to kind of even get some acting going if you are in this little box, right? But Billy, the director, worked very hard on that. And then things got a little bit looser. You know, we always try to, what is Governor Newsom saying? What can we do? So people up to 10 with practicing uh, healthy protocols could meet. We started to have a few rehearsals in my backyard. And I put a protocol together 
both coming and going were staggered. So nobody ever came in together with somebody else. You had to wear a mask until you got to your assigned seat. And because my husband had just pruned our huge uh, mulberry tree, we had these long sticks that we cut to exactly six feet. We put them all between where people were sitting or standing. And when they were at their place, they could take their mask off. And at least we were in person together. That was already a huge improvement. <laughs> and then that developed to maybe we, we can do it maybe in September. If we just keep people together, do a few rehearsals. And then we realized we have no idea about September either. So at a board meeting, I was very distraught and my board being all wonderful theater people said, well, you can all already meet outdoors. What do you think about filming? Huh? Okay. And some people said, you know, it'll be easy. You can do subtitles. You know, whenever they speak English, you put Spanish subtitles and vice versa, which will make it easier. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do it in web episodes, 20 minutes an episode and next week the next one's coming kind of, huh so i had a, a zoom production meeting with billy and it was hard to change his context his what he had what he wanted to do with the play what he had in mind was a group of actors in the 19th century meeting somewhere in a saloon in early california and picking up, okay, I'm the king now, I'm a lord now, picking up some things out of a trunk and, and playing all this sort of in a circle. I thought it was a great concept. It looked like real fun if you could do that, but that wouldn't work for filming. So he was really wrestling with this for a while, but he was a very creative young man so I think after a couple of sleepless nights, he contacted me again. I think I've got it. I, I think I've got it. And then we, we honed it in. We decided to take places, outdoor places, in Merced that have some iconic quality to them and do our filming early, early, early in the morning where not many other people are there. We started at six o'clock in the morning and find a way to block it so it looks from the camera view like we're actually a little closer together and not all six feet apart because that looks kind of boring. I found a lovely cameraman or a cinematographer in Sean Overton. He is a well-known photographer here. He has directed for us. He's a good friend of ours. And he said, well, I just got this new camera, I think I could do that. And so thanks to the perseverance of the cast who hung in there and the hard work of Billy and the great eye of Sean, somehow we were able on two weekends, starting at six o'clock in the morning to film the whole show. It's about the show cut to about two hours. We filmed at a farm in Cathy's Valley in the foothills. We filmed at Schaefer Bridge, which goes over Merced River, an interesting backdrop, at the Applegate Park, at the UC campus, in my backyard again, 
Um, we wanted to film at Lake Yosemite, which is the lake in Merced, but we found out there was too much geese poop there <laughs> because geese were staying over there from some migration, so that didn't work. Um, we found a different place. We wanted to film at the courthouse here in Merced, which is a lovely building, nice stairs up that we wanted to use for one scene. The permission process was too difficult and too uncomfortable mm -hmm. and so we didn't do that but we were able to film it finish filming two weeks ago up till the last part of filming i was so stressed what if somebody gets sick now what if somebody cannot make it and we need to add another weekend nope everybody was there everybody was happy to be there and actually our costumer who was contracted to do the costumes all her job was to sew masks that would fit with the color scheme. Everybody brought costumes from home. We said, yeah, that looks good now, find something else. Barely any props. We just made it as simple as possible. And right now it's in post-production. We have one, two, three, four, five, six people working on it. There's a raw editing of all the scenes, somebody to put subtitles in, somebody put the music in. It's a big thing. If you're done filming, that doesn't mean everything yet. So I'm learning that. I'm excited that it sort of has worked. It is not what we had in mind, but it was the best that we could do in our time. Well, I think that's amazing. Where did you find the people to do the post-production? Well, we asked around, and especially UC students have been a, a treasure chest for us. There is a young lady who did the pomp and circumstance graduation ceremony online that I watched with my husband, who's teaching at the UC Merced, and I heard, oh, it's Yamani. Um, I don't know her last name. She, she does it. She's good at it. So we checked with her. Yes. We got some help from uh, Katie Braca. She is the English chair there and also Shakespearean. And she had some ideas. Somebody just volunteered because if you are an artist, you want to do art. I didn't think it would all work out, but it does work out. <laughs> you, know, you have put the community in community theater. <laughs> yes, that, that's true. And, and we are part of this community. I just can't tell you how much I admire all of you for persevering and being so creative and flexible and rising to meet this daunting challenge. Thank you, but it was stressful. And there were times we got to, maybe we just have to stop. Maybe we just kind of, but... Uh, we just got it all together and got, we, we can do this. You know, that's also, community theaters have so little to work with. You know, we, we lost some, uh, like an actor. And Billy said, where do we find another actor? And I said, come on, this is community theater. Every community production loses an actor. This is, this is nothing new. <laughs> and somehow you talk around, you find somebody. That's what it's about. We didn't want to give up and... Lots of the credit goes to Billy, the director, and the cast, really. Where will we be able to see Ricardo Segundo, Richard II? Uh, well, yeah, we just had a meeting yesterday. We hope that the first part, which would be Act 1, Scene 1 and 2, a couple of interviews titled uh, The End of August. You know, that sort of says the end of summer, 
even if it's online, UC is starting, junior colleges are starting, people are looking at the, their computer and it should be there. And, and then actually we have already some other idea what we want to follow that up with. And I'm having a meeting about that tomorrow because it's difficult to shut up actors, you know. <laughs> so for our listeners, where should they go online to get the latest on when it's going up and where they should be tuning in or how they can access it? Yeah. There will be a link on our website and our website is www.mercedshakespearefest.org. It will be on Facebook. We have a group page, Merced Shakespeare Fest. And the carrier will be YouTube. In the weeks leading up to it, we want to do a lot of publicity for it, you know, with ads and kind of blasting a little bit. So people know, oh, this is coming. And we hope to do this like um, every time on a Friday at 7.30, and then the next Friday at 7.30 would be the next one. But you could also then see, if you've missed it, in between that time. How nice. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Arts of the San Joaquin Valley. Today, I'm talking with Heike Hambly, founder and artistic director of Merced Shakespeare Fest. On the Merced Shakespeare Facebook page, there's a New Yorker article from May 7th, 2020, entitled, What Shakespeare Actually Wrote About the Plague. And it begins, quote, Shakespeare lived his entire life in the shadow of bubonic plague, unquote. What did he write about the plague? There are lots of plays that have little side phrases about uh, epidemic, contagion, pestilence. And if you don't, live in a time where you have that. You just overlook that. For instance, in the lovely, lovely comedy, Much Ado About Nothing, Beatrice talks to the messenger about Benedict, who she later loves and marries, like, oh my God, what's Benedict doing? He's hanging like Claudio, like the pestilence. Like, this is how you call somebody that you can't get rid of, right? In Richard II, my character that I play, John of Gaunt, has a line in which he wants to comfort his son who is banished. And the line goes like this, suppose devouring pestilence hangs in our air and thou art flying to a fresher clime. I wish we could do that. Maybe Shakespeare had hoped he could do that. I have not taken count how many months there several theaters that Shakespeare was involved in had to close, just like our theaters, because of the plague in London. I believe when I worked on King Lear, I found something that he was actually writing King Lear, not in London, but part of the time out in the country, maybe in Stratford, maybe somewhere else with a friend, because he could not be in London, it was too dangerous. So, for Shakespeare, it was a regular thing. For us, we're just not used to that. But it has something, something to do with the fact, I believe, life was probably more fragile and more considered precious mm -hmm. in a time with all these dangers around, like 1580, 
1600. Life is very precious and fragile now too, but we somehow overlook that. Our technology makes us think it's no longer. He was an actor, but because of these theater shutdowns, is it theorized he did write more plays then because he wasn't able to act at that time? It, you could theorize that. It could be an assumption. I just think he was writing plays because he had to write plays. I, I think he was an actor because that was expected and was fun too. But uh, somehow, this is just another assumption, you know, I don't know. But it seems to me somebody who's a writer like that must write. Just like, I know you're a poet, you have to write poetry. Well, being inside all the time, I've had more time to devote to poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And some things lend themselves better. Writing yeah. a play, I could do that now at home. Mm. Uh, putting on a play is a little tough. <laughs> Have you ever thought about writing a play? No. Okay. Uh, people, people ask me that, and I said, well, I do something that is kind of has a little bit to do with it. I'm taking a play and make incisions here and cuts here and, and maybe put scene one at the second place and vice versa. So there's some work that goes with that, but there's such a treasure of plays there. What I really like to do most is direct. Since 2015, you've also been a director at Gallo Repertory in the Gallo Center for the Arts in Modesto. What shows have you directed there? Oh, I have great experiences at the Gallo there. I started out with uh, directing Inherit the Wind, wonderful play about um, the Darwin's theory and how some people at that time did not believe it was the big, big monkey suit, if you remember. That was before it was a repertory. That play and some other plays in that season, some directed by Jim Johnson, the artistic director now, uh, were so successful and got a good name for the Gallo, they decided to put a repertory theater there. My next one was The Diary of Anna Frank. is a very important one for me. I feel personally very drawn to everything that has to do with the 1930s, rise of fascism in 1940s in Germany because maybe that's my way to deal with the Nazi past. I was born after that, but it is something that uh, I have to deal with, like everybody has to deal with the crimes of one's nation. The next one was The Miracle Worker, the story of Helen Keller. Oh, and now we're getting into the season that didn't happen. This May I was supposed to direct Guess Who's Coming for Dinner, which also has to do with racism. So we'll, we'll just see how that goes on. I hope I can do it next season. Where else have you been a director, actor, or artistic director? Um, I have directed at Playhouse Merced. I have directed at Prospect. And while Jack Sousa was in New York, I was an interim artistic director for him at Prospect. It was a difficult season. I enjoyed every minute of it. As an actor, what is one of your favorite roles and why is it one of your favorites? Oh, I'm pretty sure there is some role of an old woman that's somewhere out there that I will be able to play soon because there are not so many old women around. <laughs> one of my favorite roles is actually um, a silly little role and that is not Shakespeare, but 
from the comedy I Hate Hamlet, which is such a fun play. And of course, has a lot of Shakespeare in a way in it. And I played the agent of the young actor who, who wants to get into this Shakespeare play. And it was so full of bantering and witticism. And I got to dance uh, a waltz with a friend on stage. And another thing, I come up with my, my first entrance. I have this fantastic outfit on with yeah. feathers in my hair. And people look at me and start clapping. And I thought, this is how I like it. <laughs> it was just fun. With all my love for tragedy, sometimes fun is a good thing. There are some roles for older men, traditionally, that I would like to play. Shakespeare, I'm very interested in Prospero. And three of my favorite roles for older men I already played. And that is Lord of Gloucester in King Lear, John of Gaunt in Richard II or Ricardo Segundo, and Marcus Andronicus in Titus. Very bloody role, but lovely role. When choosing a play to direct or produce, what do you look for generally? There are different things to look at. Number one, a Shakespeare theater likes to do the canon, which means all 36 plays. Some of them are very unknown, <laughs> like Simon of Athens, for instance, or Pericles, which I adore. So some of it is that in every season, at least I want to have one, one play we haven't done already. Because real popular ones, of course, we have done once, twice, I love, for instance, Much Ado, but I've directed it twice and uh, somebody else, of course, can direct it and it will look very different. But I don't want to do that too often, you know. The other thing is, and we're just looking at this for next season, some years somehow have something about them where you want to group the place around a topic. And I have a hunch next year could be one of those where something so important or, or relevant or tragic happens for the community and the country that you just cannot do three comedies. That's another one. Another one is, if I have a director that I trust coming to me and say, I, there's this one play, this is what I want to do, fill in the blank. And, and I have this idea and I kind of, oh, I haven't thought about that. You really want to do it, right? Great, let's do it. Or you have an actor and you think, oh my God, he or she would be a perfect such and such. Or I can't do this play because I don't have that person. I wanted to direct Othello for so long. And it took me such a long time to find absolutely the perfect actor for Othello. And that is Adam Torian from mm -hmm. Modesto. He has done lots of stuff with Prospect. He was my Othello. Without him, it wouldn't have been such a good play. What is the first theater production in which you were involved? I directed, as a young teacher in Germany, I directed plays in my class, but that's a long time. My first one here in California, <laughs> well, you do what, what is offered to you. I auditioned for Gypsy, the musical. It was in 94, and actually I auditioned for one of the strippers, um, and I was in the dance audition. And the choreographer really got very amused by me. I wasn't cast at, at one of the strippers, but I was cast as the theater secretary. It was my very first role. 
I also was asked by the director to hold the dog backstage because he said, you are the calmest one in the cast. Later on, a couple years later, I was playing that particular stripper with the horn at Playhouse Merced in a production. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Gypsy was my first one. <laughs> What do you believe are some of the most important societal contributions of community theater? Well, if you love theater, you, you believe in theater like it's magic. But aside from that, it is something that can bring people together. And we need this. We need to, it comes the inclusivity again. People of different socioeconomic classes, of ethnicity, to come together as a cast, to work together for a common goal, that's the first community. And then the second huge part of the community is when you have an audience and when you get those reactions, if people kind of think with you, emote with you, breathe with you as you are on stage. And then after a couple of years, it's like, you are a very important part of this community. Art is something that connects us. Art is something that takes our stress away. Sometimes it creates stress, but in general, it takes stress away. And people can meet each other on an even keel, on a same level, which is not often possible in real life. All of my friends actually are theater people. It's just how it goes because you were in shows with them. And then if I think of Merced, which is the community I live in, my first thought are all the theaters, the groups that put in something for the rest of the community to watch, to think about, to kind of talk with their friends and their family about. And for that, we need to include everybody as well. Not always easy. Community theater is so fragile. We're lucky we don't have a place that we rent or <laughs> people that we have to pay. So we're good. Some other community theaters have it much worse because to survive right now is pretty tough. How can people make donations or otherwise support Merced Shakespeare Fest? Well, there's actually two things. One is uh, we can use all the support if people are interested in what we're doing. So looking at our website, looking at our Facebook site, asking me what's happening and coming to productions and seeing productions. And the other one, of course, is that people can donate to us. And as usually now, we have the famous donate button on our website that has been used a few times, not too often. But really right now, at this point in time, I would almost say support the theater that you know that has a place where they have to pay rent, where they have to pay PG&E or some of those things, and donate to us when we are on the other side, when we need more money because we need to put it in productions. Right now, we can survive. What are Merced Shakespeare Fest's and your own goals for the future? Well, for me personally, Within the next years, I need to find a successor, and that will be strange. <laughs> and um, um, 
I have tried this a few times. I thought, well, when I turn 60, and now, well, when I turn 70, I think now when I turn 80, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's one. And the really for the whole organization, our goals are just to grow a little, have a few people more in the audience, but generally that we can stay with the time. I don't want to be one of those theaters that do what we always have done. So I think we have a pretty good chance because right now we wanted to do a play and we turned out to make a movie. <laughs> so I think I want us to be changing, not changing too much. I want us to be loving Shakespeare and adoring Shakespeare and putting Shakespeare on, but so that it really means something for the time we live in. And I think three plays a season is perfectly fine. We could go to two if it wouldn't work. But Shakespeare needs to be, I think, <laughs> produced and shown in every town. And something about that. Billy, the director of uh, Ricardo, he is writing his dissertation right now. And that is actually about American Shakespeare festivals. And it is a special phenomenon of the U.S. There are lots of theaters, Shakespeare theaters, in Europe, of course, in England, of course, in Germany, yes, and, and lots of other places. But the way to have Shakespeare theaters that do maybe one or two production, maybe even free. I mean, our Shakespeare production in the park is free. You can go there without paying. And coming again every year, that is a typically American thing. The US took to Shakespeare uh, around 1800 or so, just like, like wildfire. Oh, wildfire is not a good, you know what I mean. It took very, very well to Shakespeare. And Shakespeare is very loved in this country. And every state has several Shakespeare festivals. You go from the huge regional theaters like Oregon Shakespeare Festival to Shakespeare Fest, I don't know, the difference in, in money and, and festival season is very clear. But so many people want to do, put on, direct, play Shakespeare in this country. Something I didn't know before, I talked with Billy about it. He writes a whole dissertation about it. The miners, the gold miners in 1848, they sometimes got together and put on Shakespeare plays. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Wow. And there was one Hamlet performer who was traveling maybe around, uh, I don't know, end of the 19th century and put on a play in a mining camp. And somehow he didn't know a line. And dozens of the miners told him the line. Oh. <laughs> it's a great story. I don't know where I read this one, but it sounded like this could have happened. People loved it. <laughs> Thank you very, very much, Heike. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. You are so welcome. It's a danger to talk with me about that because I could talk for hours. <laughs> I'm very happy you asked me questions about it because I can talk about something that I'm missing a bit right now. And I thank you for that. Thanks, Linda. Bye-bye. The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley has been produced and hosted by Linda Scheller and Sandy Graham and features music by Kilobot, Waves of Wonder from the album Jazzy Lazy. 
You can learn more about their music at www.kilobot.de. That's K-I-E-L-O-B-O-T dot D-E. If you would like us to feature your art-related event, or if you would like to be featured on our show, contact us at arts at kcbpradio.org. Stay tuned for more great community radio brought to you by local volunteers, the Modesto Peace Life Center, and listeners like you. Please visit kcbpradio.org to show your support and to learn more about your community radio station. Catch you next time on the Arts of the San Joaquin Valley.